Running, I think, is a sport that's really built on mythologies and larger-than-life tales of determination and grit, even, I'd argue, on the local level. Take, for example, this week. I was chatting with some friends about the Springbank Road Races, a topic that I've talked about before. It's an event that happened less than an hour away from myself and brought in Olympians and record holders alike during the 60s and 70s. Now, it's not really as documented as I would really like it to be, so it almost seems unbelievable. But if you ask the right people, get ready, they'll talk your ear off about these golden years. On perhaps a more local level, and a bit smaller too, in the small town of Tilsonburg, just 10 minutes east of the family farm I grew up on, they used to have a race that attracted guys who would put out low 30 10Ks on a regular basis. That's almost unheard of now, and even more impressive when you find out that there's not even really a regular road race that happens there anymore. My point is, this sport is rich with stories of amazing performances, but to be honest, they can be hard to verify. One of my guests this week though, George Aitken, has a lifetime worth of racing photos, programs, and results of everything from small town races to some of Sully's races at World Cross. He's one of the closest things we have to a historian of the sport in this country, and you're going to want to stick around for him. Very interesting stuff. Also, Evan Esselink. He was fourth in Yorkville a couple of weeks ago at the Canadian 5K Champs, and he has a really promising career ahead of him. We talked team atmospheres, training, and goals. You're definitely going to want to stick around for him as well. You're listening to The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production. George Aitken is a name that you should probably know if you're a student of the sport in any sort of capacity. His Facebook page, George Aitken's Photos, has thousands of photos that can go back a couple of decades that he has taken at hundreds of different racing venues. He also has a collection of road race results and programs that is second to no one. It was a huge honor to talk to George this week. So, you know, obviously there, there's two real passions here. that You have a passion for, for running and a passion for photography. How did those two things come together and, and how did you really get started at this sort of thing? Well, I started running when I was uh, 14 in uh, 1967 and um, I knew right away that I wanted to be a runner forever. I guess a lot of distance runners especially get that feeling and they know. And I always had a camera as a kid and uh, like a lot of people, I look through magazines and the thing you want to see most is pictures. You don't want to read as much when you're a younger guy. So I, uh, I guess those two passions just started to come together. When I, when I realized that there were magazines devoted to just running, I, uh, I was excited about that and uh, looked through them. And, of course, it was pictures that I wanted to see. And I always had this feeling that I'd love to take a picture as well as some of those photographers had done for the magazines. But until the 1970s, late 70s, I only used uh, pocket Instamatics and little brownie cameras. And uh, and I, I was, I'm still proud to this day of some of the pictures I got on those little cameras. Hmm. And... Uh, and, but then 35 millimeter cameras uh, caught my eye. I started going that direction, late 70s. Do you remember the, uh, the first meet or, or the first races that, that you really, you know, seriously shot? Well, 
I got some good shots at the Springbank Road Races in London. That was in the 19, uh, well, before 1980. Hmm. The Springbank Road Races were one of only a handful of major road races that were held in North America, and it was an international race, and it attracted a lot of famous runners that uh, we we uh, lowly runners were just uh, amazed to see and uh, so when I'd go to those races I'd run the high school race as a young guy and then spend the rest of the afternoon taking pictures of these international runners doing their loops in the longer races. Does that mean you got to see I guess uh, Boston Billy was was Frank Shorter still there? Yeah Shorter and Frank Shorter, Bill Rogers, uh, Myra Tifter from Ethiopia, and oh, countless other runners that were maybe not as big a household name, but amongst the running crowd, we knew who they were and what some of their accomplishments were. And uh, <clears throat> it was just awesome to see them. And, and now I just wish I had taken 10 times as many pictures back then. But but back then, uh, you had to... Every picture costs you some money to get it developed as opposed to today when you can shoot digital images and just pick and choose. Well, that that kind of leads really well into my next question. There, there's been so much change, um, you know, from the late 70s to now in, you know, in photo technology. Uh, how has that changed in the way that, that you shoot things, that you shoot races and that sort of thing? Well, I'm still... Uh, in the process of realizing how you can just shoot everybody uh, when you're taking pictures at a, a race and uh, not have to worry the same about about holding back for monetary reasons or the other big reason when it was film was that you only had a certain number of frames on your in your camera that you could uh, uh, use and then you'd have to change film and, and usually 36 exposures was as high as you would go and so if a race was starting uh, you would want to have a fresh load of film in the camera ready to go <clears throat> but now and I'm finding it uh, for the film reason and just for the the fact that I getting I can get as many people in the uh, on record as I possibly can I can, I can just sit there and shoot every runner as they come by multiple images each time and that's how a lot of people that are starting out in photography now are are, are they're just used to that because it's the way it is but boy it was sure different when it was filmed well you make some really good points there eh? but along with that that change in technology i i would argue that there's almost been a change in the the landscape of the distance running sport uh, when I take a look at a lot of your photos, there, there's a lot of um, maybe road races that, that I haven't heard of, but yet they attract, you know, some really, really famous runners. Um, you know, as a student of the sport, I see all these all these different guys and stuff. How would you say that, that the, the, you know, landscape of the sport has changed since the late 70s to now? Well, there have been a lot of ways that it has changed. Um, for example, you enter a race and it costs you a lot more money than it used to. Um, of, of course, inflation has done that, but the things that races offer people, uh, I've got old magazines here that have uh, entry 
have uh, race advertisements in them for uh, 50 cent entry fees and $1 entry fees. And now uh, people hardly blink an eye at $50, but those of us that have been around as long as me just cringe when you see that kind of fee. But uh, anyway, uh, the things that the races provide now often include uh, a photo photographer on on site to shoot everybody, and then sometimes pictures are offered on their website for free, and other times you purchase them. But uh, that's uh, that's been one of the big changes I've seen. And of course, there are so many races. I mean. Uh, as I said earlier, Springbank was one of the few road races around. When I was a young guy, the Round the Bay, Springbank, uh, Toronto Spring Road Races, those were the old standby races that uh, people went to. And uh, there weren't an awful lot other than those until into the 70s and 80s when running started to become a mainstream activity. Mm. Mm-hmm. How, would you say that that there's been more of a move though for you know the the higher level people from from the road to the track, or or do you think that there's there's still that really good scene of of road runners out there? Well, there are a lot of guys, a lot of runners that really specialize in in one or the other. Um, uh, last couple weeks ago, we saw though there were. The, the track specialists like Nathan Brandon and um, Charles Philip Thibodeau ran in the Canadian Road Race 5K Championships in Toronto, and it was good to see them bring their track speed to that. But, um, uh, <clears throat> yeah, there are, there are some uh, guys that uh, mostly do the roads for the monetary part of the sport, but um, for track, um, there's a lot of opportunities for the top track people to make national teams, et cetera, and do some good traveling and see the world. Now, now from those uh, from those early road races to I, you know, I've seen a bunch of pictures of you at uh, at some international meets, including the uh, the World Championship of of cross country. In, in all that time, what would you say that, that some of the, the biggest moments in the sport you got to watch, you know, some things that, that really just stuck with you for forever? Well, I, I did get to see some junior cross-country runners from around the world who uh, some of them were very aggressive-looking uh, world beaters at junior ages and uh, and became senior stars as well and uh, and some of them looked like timid little runners when they were in their junior years but came out on top even in the seniors I've posted a few pictures on my Facebook page of a few people that have done things like that including uh, the one that stands out in my mind is Vivian Chariot from Kenya, who was a tiny little 15-year-old girl at her first World Cross Country Championships, and yet she was a medalist. And I was just amazed that this timid little girl could be so aggressive. And now she's a, a Olympic gold medalist and a multiple world champion. And 
and I've seen many others. And one of the reasons I got into going to the World Cross Country in the first place was uh, a friend of mine, uh, most people know who Kevin Sullivan is, mm. and I, I started following uh, his career because I trained with him. He lives uh, he lived in Brantford, not far from Cambridge, where I am, and uh, we trained together uh, to some degree. And I, it, it was just natural that I followed him to his World Cross Country events, and uh, and then the group that I trained with in Kitchener um, produced quite a few World Cross Country participants as well. So I. Uh, headed off following some of them that were juniors and then became seniors. and it, Everything just sort of fell into place for me as far as following my dream of capturing images of uh, either friends or just other world-class runners. Um, and, of course, the Kenyans and the Ethiopians dominated the world cross-country, and some of my running idols were all some of the Kenyan runners. I, I got to see Paul Turgat win all five of his World Cross Country titles, mm. which was a pretty big thrill for me. You mentioned your, your Facebook page, George Aitken's Photos. Um, you know, there's thousands of photos up there now. Tell me, how many do you have in your collection? Well, it's I've only been able to estimate, but in my big years... Um, in the through the 90s, I was estimating I was taking three or four thousand photographs a year, um, and uh, I, I just estimate my collection is sixty sixty thousand or more photos. Um, many of them are color prints, but I have thousands of black and white negatives as well, and uh, I printed my own black and whites for a number of years and uh, and those are still um, there's still quite a few black and white negatives that haven't been uh, used yet so I don't even have prints of them that I can work through and with today's technology you don't need a dark room anymore you can scan negatives and uh, make positive Im images from them hmm. so as I said, maybe 60,000. I've, I've got 140 photo albums full of bursting with, at the seams of, with photos. And, of course, as you mentioned, too, I, I've printed, I've uh, posted at least 1,000 or more pictures on my Facebook page. And I've obviously uh, started to get low on the earliest ones, but I still have quite a few to go through, so... People won't be disappointed yet. So, so out of that, the, those sixty thousand pictures, I'm sure you've met, uh, you know, an equal, almost an equal number of runners, you know, thousands, anyways. Who, who would you say that maybe some of the some of the biggest characters were were in the sport that you've that you've met, anyways? Oh, well, let me see. Well, there's always a character two or two in uh, in the sprint category and I I wasn't as focused on sprinters as I was on distance runners but told people like uh, Robert Esme and uh, a few other um, some awesome talents unfortunately fortunately unfortunately we lost Mark Graham in a in a Canadian Forces 
disaster in in um, I believe it was Afghanistan, but he was such an awesome runner to watch. Um, but um, distance-wise, uh, we've had so many stars come along, and uh, well, as I mentioned, Kevin Sullivan's career took me quite a few places, and. Uh, as a, being a friend of Kevin's, I was always nervous when he would start races, but I start, stopped being nervous because Kevin always came through in the end. But uh, I can't think offhand of any other of the big characters, but there were definitely quite a few. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that cliche uh, out there that, um, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words. Uh, do, you, do you have any picture in particular that you're most proud of or, or maybe tells the tells the biggest story oh boy let me think there's so i'll go through a photo album and an album of my own and i'll look at them and i'll they they all bring back so many memories i've got some a few classic ones uh that some i haven't even posted yet but uh pictures of a starting line where i only shot the running shoes that were standing on the line and uh and it just gives you a a memory of the shoes that were available at the time and then you think of how they've changed to now um, and there's a picture i have of frank shorter and jerome drayton battling at uh, the springbank road race one year hmm. i haven't posted that yet either but it, when the time is right i'll I'll be posting that one, but it was a classic race where the Olympic champion Shorter was expected to uh, run away with this race, and uh, Frank Short or Jerome Drayton stuck on Shorter's shoulder the whole race. And I remember the announcer even calling out that if it comes down to the final sprint, that that it's definitely Shorter's race. And uh, lo and behold, came down the final stretch, and Jerome Drayton beat the Olympic champion. So mm-hmm. uh, going back to the previous question, uh, Jerome Drayton was maybe one of the standout uh, personalities in the sport. Not that he was a loud guy, but he was uh, he was quiet. He got the job done, and uh, a quote of his was he, oh, oh, yeah, you don't show your cards until you have a good hand. Mm. That's what, that's what uh, Drayton usually was. Oh, he, you know, he's uh, Jerome Drayton. Per- perhaps the the more I find out about him, the the more I become a, a fan of his. I mean, you know, just you almost don't see that now. You know, he was he was working full time, and and he was out there, and and he was, you know, one of the best in the world, legitimately one of the best in the world. Um, you know, over the marathon, but I'd say over the shorter distances as, as well in in Springbank. Um, just, like I said, just uh, I'm I'm a really big fan of his. Uh, anyway, you know, you, you mentioned off the record that, uh, you know, perhaps the, the younger generation only knows you really, um, you know, as a photographer, maybe maybe talk about cheer running and, and maybe some, some of the biggest achievements you had and uh, what, what the plans are for, for your running in the future. Well, as I mentioned, it was 1967, so it'll be 50 years coming up next spring. And uh, I just... Uh, I just knew right away when I started running that um, I was I wanted to do it all my life, <clears throat> and uh, I I got to I got to some pretty satisfying times in my 
career. I um, I was never one of the standout runners, but once in a while I would have something that I was proud of. I I, I always liked running training for the marathon. I ran the 235 marathon, but um, I preferred racing, so uh, I like, therefore, I liked running 1,500 meters, 5,000s, where you can do lots more of them in a year. I've, uh, I've run 1,212 races, I think, in my career so far, and uh, I actually had a friend uh, digitize all my running my racing statistics hmm. so i've uh, i've got a book with all my races in it and a few years ago i reached a hundred thousand miles of total accumulated running miles so hmm. that was a, a fun day as well and uh you know i've uh i've had a fair amount of success um somewhere around 200 victories out of my 1200 but um thing i noticed one of the the noticeable things about running nowadays is the the lack sort of the lack of depth of quality at the top ends of the races uh, i used to be able to run 32 minute 10k's quite frequently and uh that would almost uh that that wouldn't get me much in a race back in the 1980s, maybe top 20 or somewhere in that range, but now a 32-minute 10K would win you a quite a few road races out there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, anyway, I I was pleased. I, I've uh, been running as a, a master at their championships, etc., for uh, since I turned 40 in 1992. So. I've uh, had a lot of success at that level as well, and uh, just just always loved competing. So I'm anxious to get healed up and get back at it, if at all possible. Hmm. Well, it's been a really big honor to talk to you, George. Thank you for for everything that you've done for the sport uh, up in this area, at, at least. Um, like I said, if you're into running at all, be sure to check out his Facebook page. It's George Aitken's Photos. Thanks so much for being on the show this week, George. Okay, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Evan Esselink is a runner who I think is about to impress a lot of people. This past year, he ducked under that 14-minute barrier in the 5,000. He also finished fourth at a very stacked Canadian champ, Road 5K, and he is gearing up for cross-country nationals in Kingston later this fall. I caught Evan earlier this week. So uh, let's go back a couple weeks. Uh, Yorkville, the 5K there, national championships. Uh, You're towing the line with legends like CPT, Nate Brennan, Luke Brichette, uh, all those guys just coming back from Rio, uh, really solid performances there, but also a lot of guys who have made names for themselves recently, like Justin Kent, Trevor Hoffbauer, all those guys. Mentally, what were you feeling like at that time on the line, and mentally, what do you do prepare for a race setting like that? Yeah, um, I think a lot of this year, it kind of helped. I ran it last year for the first time, and I was against some big names last year as well. Um, I mean, there's Matt Hughes and Bruchette, like you said. Um, and they, and well, Matt didn't come back this year, but Bruchette did. So 
I knew like when the, when the list came out, I took a peek at it. Um, I prefer not to know honestly at all what the competition is like, but I feel like for a five K championship race like that, um, it does help to know who you're up against. And, uh, yeah, so I took a look and I saw, you know, Brandon there, CBT, Bruchette, and even like Mike Tate, um, that guy's been up and coming too. I think mm-hmm. he's got a 1351 under his belt and, uh, he performed really well at the, uh, at the uh, Canadian 5k, like Olympic trials. Um, he's a bit of a surprise. So I knew a lot of these guys were going to be pretty fit. Uh, I didn't know, uh, what those Olympic guys, how they were coming into the race. Um, in my mind, I didn't know if they were like had downtime after the Olympics. Um, and they were kind of in their build stage. Um, last year I was able to be Luke Brichette, but he was, uh, coming, um, off of a lot longer season than I was. So at that mm-hmm. point in the season, um, when I was second last year at the event, I was a lot more fit than a lot of those guys. But, um, well, the, the night before actually the race at our meeting, uh, CPT like asked for and he said, like, how much do we get a bonus if we break the Canadian soil record? Mm-hmm. And at that point I knew that it was going to be fast, um, which actually kind of helped in a way because, uh, I knew what to expect and, um, I was pretty much up for anything, but in terms of preparing myself for this year, uh, last year I had a lot of confidence going into it. Uh, came off of really good base uh, training and pretty similar to this year. This year, my outdoor season was a lot longer. Um, but you know, I, I had a bit of a quicker build than I usually would, but, uh, I've been a guy that can get fit really fast, um, which can work against me too. But um, this year I felt like it was in my favor and I was able to go off pretty good confidence knowing that I had run 14-19 last year. Um, and I knew that if the pace was going to be fast that I had done the work already to handle that early. So how did, how did the actual race go from there? You know, Did you have any strategies going in and uh, and what did you do with them? actually went once the, the yeah. gun went off. Yeah. Um, so basically I'd figured the race was going to be really fast off the start. Um, and so I saw this, uh, CPT and Bruchette, they kind of took it off from the gun. I think I want to say he was like two thirty seven through the K. Hmm. Um, keep in mind, obviously that first K and that, uh, Yorkville run is, uh, downhill, but, mm-hmm. um, it was still quicker than I expected. I think I was, 246 last year and um i was three seconds back at the k this year in 240 um but right off the gun i was you know kind of taken back like wow these guys are really gunning for us um but it was kind of reassuring to have you know mike tate was beside me for most of it so like he kind of felt that it was all so quick um and it wasn't just me feeling bad on the day off the start um, so that was reassuring having someone experienced like him. Um, and I had a similar level as I, um, and Nate brand was even riding with us for a while. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess right off the start being fast, um, it, it, we, I knew it was going to be hot. Or I figured that especially with, uh, CPD wanted to go after that record, which he did end up getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that a lot of it was just, keeping in contact with those top guys and kind of keeping them in sight and seeing if I could, I I thought perhaps I could take them off late, but they still had like a good 
good kick in them with the Katie go. And uh, when they started picking up and when Brandon started to catch up to them, um, and I don't know exactly how um, the amount of time that they were apart. I didn't really look at that result. I just knew the order, but uh, I think Brandon's last K was very fast. Um, and a lot, I think a lot of people didn't even really realize that, but um, being in the race, I saw that happen. And uh, no, but I mean, the first, after the first K or two, um, it was mostly just relaxing and kind of subtly covering any moves that um, could have been made and without much effort. Um, but yeah, it was off the start and definitely put you into a bit of a debt um, that forced you to relax during the middle and later end, latter ends of the race. Well, all things considered, I'd, I'd say you did, you know, really well. You came in, came in fourth just off the podium, but, you know, looking at the guys ahead of you, you know, CPT, Nate Brennan, Luke Brichet, all those guys have shown that they, they can perform really well. I just want to, I want to talk really quickly earlier in the season, you went sub 14 in the 5,000, which is, you know, it's huge 1359. That has to be such a big barrier uh, mentally as well as physically for you to, for you to pass. How far out do you set goals for yourself? You know, do you have a place that you'd like to be, say, next year or maybe two years from now, three years, four years, whatever? Yeah. Um, for goals, for me, um, you know, I'm, I don't like to say, oh, like, I, I make like realistic goals, I would say, I'm more of one of those guys. Um, you know, I, I didn't have a goal is to make the Olympic team in 2016. Um, just w- where I was a year ago, um, being what I have to take off 56 seconds in the 10 K. Mm. Um, it just like, wasn't realistic to me. Um, the goal I had in the 5 K this outdoor season, I, um, didn't achieve like I, that race that I ran 1359, honestly, uh, wasn't the greatest race run on my part. Um, I should have been a little more aggressive through the middle and, um, kind of like let a gap form but anyways i had i guess i had the the goal of running somewhere in the 1340s this year but um you know a pb is a pb and especially my pb beforehand was 1401 from a few years back already when i was in college but mm-hmm. um so it was nice to dip under finally um but you know I, it, it's also nice knowing like, finishing a season knowing that you have so much left um but yeah, in terms of goals, I, uh, I, I set ones that, you know, I think are maybe like the chances of obtaining them are maybe like 30% or 40% around there. Um, not something crazy. Um, even though I'm not bashing on people that do, cause you know, as you see, like, I think I saw a tweet last night of, uh, someone retweeted it of a Genevieve cause and, all like her goals and she achieved like almost every one of them. And those were pretty ridiculous goals to, to my mind to where she was at. But, um, you know, someone like that who just goes out and does it, I have a lot of respect for them. Um, but for me and in, in this point in my career, um, make little step, little stepping stones and little goals to reach those ultimate ones. For sure. For sure. Okay, so you came up with the with the Durham Dragons, which if you're if you're not from Ontario, they have a huge youth program with with pretty good results as well. Uh, you did some time running collegiately uh, at Indiana, and you're now with Speed River. Talk to me about you know the different coaching styles and, and how each place is is different. Yeah, no, uh, the Dragons was great. Um, my group that I trained with was under uh, Bill Cunliffe. Um, 
he coached at my high school, Curtis Secondary, and um, I that was my first coach I ever had uh, from when I started when I was 11 and, until when I graduated high school. Um, and that coaching style, you know, he was more like just getting us younger kids and interested in this sport. We were, you know, at that time it was instead of AOs, it was like OTFA um, years ago. And before that was like, which I think still exists, the minor track league association in Ontario. And that was my like early years. And he was getting us excited about the sport and um, not necessarily taking it too seriously. Um, maybe until I got into my first year of high school is when I really started, you know, I, I quit soccer. That was my main sport and then just took on running completely. Um, and just found myself, you know, his training style was, yeah, it was, you know, it was three workouts a week. It was, you know, he was very encouraging, which is great for younger kids uh, to keep motivated in the sport. Um, and then when I got to Indiana, uh, things got a lot different. Um, you know, they were two workouts a week and long run was per, uh, like more of a serious run um, than I ever did in high school or now at Speed River even. Um you know, and that's a big like part of the NCAA system. I feel like uh, it's like a staple in their running diet is a good long run. But mm. um, yeah, that training was very much uh, almost uh, like army like, if you will. It really made you headstrong, uh, tough. You know, there there wasn't a lot of um, you know, like if you're performing poorly, like you were let know, and like you you would know from the coach and. Um, you know, that, that's definitely happened, but I feel like it's really made me like headstrong, um, mentally. And then when I got to speed river, um, you know, the, the training was almost like really like a combination of the two. Um, you know, my high school coach, we did like three workouts a week. I went to college and did two and now I'm doing three again for the most part. Um, runs were a little on the slower side. Um, mileage is about the same, but, you know, Dave Scott Thomas is my coach now, and, uh, he's obviously developed some really stellar athletes over the years. Um, you know, and I'm just trying to be one like them as well. Uh, and I think a lot of it for whatever coach you have, you know, I talked to Jeremy about this and he's made this a big point, you know, there's more than one way to get to the same place. Um, different coaching styles and adaptations you have to make. I actually just saw a video on flow track of, uh, I think it was the Oklahoma university guys. They've had three coaching changes in the past five years. Hmm. Um, and you know, I, and they're, they're still a great cross team, but mm-hmm. so I feel like it's more of embracing the change for me um, with Dave. And I feel like I've done well with that. And uh, you know, he's led me to a PB already in the 5k and uh yeah, just uh, keep it carrying on from here and some good road racing ahead. And, you know, I just had another good 5K under my belt. So, um, yeah, no, but it's been good. I want to take a, a little bit of a look back on, on the NCAA days. Um, Nate Brennan, he's been on the show, and he, he's told me that he's glad he went across the border because he really learned uh, the art of racing uh, when he was in the NCAA. Uh, besides, you know, making yourself tougher, uh, as you mentioned, what what would you say that the biggest lesson learned was when you were at Indiana? Uh, the biggest lesson I've learned was 
definitely like Nate just said, learning how to race. Um, in high school, I quite often I like took out from the gun and was a leader, and you know, fall back and fade. But for uh, Indiana, at least, and I think a lot of other NCLA schools, they like really embrace like pack running, especially in cross country. Um, we've really learned to like feed off of each other. And I think that is also easier to do than in a CIS school because, you know, there's just the depth is there. Um, so maybe it's easier to do that on a team, but pack running and using each other's energy as a team has been huge in terms of what I've learned and also just running tough, like getting in a race, going out really hard, like NCAA cross, you know, it usually takes it off and, 62 seconds or so through the first 400 um and you know you go lactic right away and i think at indiana if anything you know we've really learned how to run tough um not back down easily but also run smart so if someone makes a move you know you cover it slowly and with a, a good head on your shoulders instead of just like someone who's stupid and will go off with any pace you know it's just to run smart really is what I've feel like I've really learned. You know, I've seen a picture of you uh, racing with uh, fellow Canuck, Brandon Lord, when, when you were at Indiana, uh, when I was talking to, to Jeff Harris last episode, he mentioned something about uh, the so-called bearded brotherhood and uh, how people with beards always acknowledge each other. That's kind of what I picture Canadians like in the NCAA to, to be, you know, if you see another Canadian, you kind of nod and say hello. Is is that true or, or maybe not so true? <laughs> I actually, I have that picture that you're talking about. I have a really funny story about that. Okay. So uh, a lot of people don't know, but I, I had no idea who Brandon Lord was. Um, like, I didn't know he was Canadian. Um, I didn't know he went to Georgia. He just, uh, it was my what was my last NCAA race. It was uh, East Regionals in the 10K um, in Jacksonville to qualify to nationals. Um, and we were running in the race and he, uh, you know, he, I pull up on his shoulder and he's, and he said to me, and this is, I quote during the race and all this is pretty accurately quoted too. He was like, you're Evan S link, right? And uh, I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, we're, we're, I'm Brandon, like we're both Canadian or whatever. And I said, Oh, I hadn't known that. And he, and this is maybe like in 300 meters of the race in the middle of the race, but he was like, so you're, you're going to, uh, we're going to be like FISU buddies, like to go to FISU games. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him again, like in the race that I actually wasn't going. Um, I had planned to stay, uh, in Indiana after I graduated um, I was on uh, a visa called OPT in which um, if I had gone to FISU games, I would have um, destroyed that eligibility for that. And I would have had to go like back home to Canada. Hmm. Um, so uh, he got into FISU and I told him during the race, I said like, Oh, like, no, like I'm not going in because of that OPT situation. And he said, He's like, oh, well, like, thanks for, for not going. Cause he was going in place of me instead with uh, Aaron Hendricks, who runs a speed river and, you know, mm-hmm. Guelph uh, CIS champion. And uh, he was like, well, I'm going to pay back and we're gonna, I'm going to take you to nationals. And then he, like, picked up the pace and told me to get behind him. Hmm. Um, and that's probably the picture you've seen is me right behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he was able to talk a lot during that race, and obviously he felt really good. I mean, 
he won East regionals, I think, and uh, ended up making nationals, but I fell off the pace late and kind of suffered. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have been talking, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, like you said, that like kind of recognizing of fellow Canadians and whatnot. I think that, I think that is a thing, you know, I've, I've talked to Ben Flanagan when he was at Michigan as at Indiana. I think we were, um, I was on the team at Indiana. He was on Michigan for a couple of years, I think, maybe one or two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely a, a thing that's recognized. Uh, I, I guess maybe I just didn't know Brandon as much because, you know, he's lived in Georgia most of his life. Um, so I didn't really, didn't really know him um, before then. So cross season, it's on right now. Collegiately, the uh, the pinnacle though is uh, is happening at the end of November up in Kingston. As mentioned, you're with Speed River now. You joined in February, so I don't know the exact particulars of it. But uh, will you be running with them uh, as part of their team? And uh, do you plan to make the trip up to Kingston? Yeah, I that cross country nationals is my uh, main season for my race. Um, I'll sure have to say I'm peaking for that race. Um, you know, that's a big one this year, especially since the world cross year. Um, and I will be running a speed river, um, that race as well. So I will be contributing to that speed river team. Well, you know, just taking a look at the, uh, at the fields from last year. Oh, wow. Really, really good race. Um, where, where do you see yourself maybe finishing? Do you, have, do you have a goal for that yet? Yeah. Uh, so last year I didn't have an expectation really. Um, my fall after, um, after my 5K at uh, in Toronto, the 5K chance was a little rocky. Um, I did like a half marathon um, that went well, but I, you know, it's kind of my training was a little spotty, um, and you know, I I didn't have that many that many high expectations for the race, um, but. I, I ended up coming 10th, which was um, what I didn't think would be good enough to make the Pan Am team. But, um, you know, a lot of those guys said no to, to going, at least those top six guys, which completely makes sense because it was an Olympic year. Um, but this year, you know, Ross won last year. Um, as a personal goal in mind for myself, uh, I want to try and win cross-country nationals. Um you know, and, and I'm setting that as a realistic goal, not one of those uh, ridiculous ones. Um, I, I thought that perhaps I could have won last year. Um, a lot of the time I wasn't doing many workouts. Uh, I think I actually did one cross-country workout before cross-country nationals. Um, you know, and, and I'd, I was training on my own as well, um, still at Indiana, actually. Um, so I... Uh, you know, just with all that going on, I didn't give myself the best opportunity to win that race last year. But uh, given the circumstances this year, being under Dave and seeing Ross won last year, and you know, you know, I I feel that um, what Dave has planned for me for the fall and the build that I'm doing right now is gonna set me up for a great chance to to win that this year. He is Evan Esselink, and uh, hey, you know, best of building, man. Uh, I will be seeing you in in Kingston, and uh, and it should be a really good race. Thanks a lot for for yeah. being on the show this week, man. Yeah, looking forward to it. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Terminal Mile. Big thanks to my guests this week, George and Evan, for for the time that they put into it. Also to Tracky for their ongoing support. 
and to you for listening. If you want to find us online, you can on Twitter at The Terminal Mile. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, as well as Tracky.ca. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Terminal Mile, a Tracky Radio production.